0: I'm Kim, and welcome to Esotork's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of January 26, 2015. Join us this week as we talk with Donald Spivak, former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Community Redevelopment Agency of Los Angeles, about Bunker Hill's Grand Avenue and its multiple reinventions over the past four decades. We'll also visit with John Christensen, editor of Boom, a journal of California, to learn about the motivations that power this most California-centric publication. So stay tuned.
1: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline, la-la-la-la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood, called herbina a between
2: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of January twenty sixth, 2015. Happy New Year, Kim. This episode, we'll have interviews, we'll have our our usual two interviews. Uh, For Interview one, Donald Spivak. Donald Spivak is former Deputy Chief of Policy and Operations at the Community Redevelopment Agency of Los Angeles. This is a very long way of saying... He has been around the block. There's nothing you can tell him about downtown. And once again, he will tell it like it is. He will take us by the hand and lead us down the path. The path today is Grand Avenue on Old Bunker Hill. Second guest, John Christensen. John Christensen, amongst many other things, which we'll get into in the proper introduction at the end of this introduction. Uh, John Christensen is editor of Boom, a journal of California. And we're going to be talking to him about Boom and being an Angelino and a Californian and an editor of said journal and the editorial directions and motivations behind said journal and how much fun it is for him to get to be that guy. So, Kim, the Pishka Maven, please bring us up to speed.
0: Oh, yeah. There's a Pishka. It's a digital tip jar. It's associated with this podcast. We fixed the link, folks. Thank you. And uh, if you like what we do and you'd like to be supportive in some small way, we are so grateful for the contributions of our listeners. It helps cover the cost of gasoline and snack foods and cups of joe to keep me functioning while Richard runs me all over the Southland looking for fascinating people to talk to for you to listen to. Never obligatory. Always appreciated thank you for your support.
2: Thank you, Kim. Okay, good. So let's um, let's move into the closely watched train section. Um, we're gonna, uh, Kim, back into focus, darling. Everything is well. So let's move into closely watched trains. So first, first Where on our list,
0: le- a cat who was freaking out. I had to give him a very stern look.
2: Okay, a cat who has twenty-seven followers on Instagram.
0: All cats. <laughs>
2: obviously looking to boost his internet presence right now. Okay. So Kim, um, last week we were giving, uh, the Charles Bukowski bus tour. We were, uh, heading, uh, n- uh west on third street as we always do about into to turn- the
0: Viking district into. The- yeah. You know, it. It. There's two things I, I look out for out the window as we do that little bit of, of the journey through what we call Jane Land, where Jane Cooney Baker, who was the older woman who taught Charles Bukowski how to be a man, where the two of them lived together in a bunch of really crummy apartments and got into lots of trouble. And there's two things I look out for. Well, I look for the three things, actually. I look for the Suprat Light Church. Yeah. I look for the open garage bays where someone has a collection of really cool vintage... Um, Gas station signage. Right. You know, which is a little hard to see, but you know, it's always there. And I look for the Royal Viking Motel sign, and it has been changed. Beautiful neon slab sign. Very, very austere but fantastic, gorgeous typography. And there there are two signs. There's actually one around the corner on Figaro as well. Um, it's been taken over by something called Pod Inn. And they scraped off the neon and they painted it orange and they put their crummy logo and some Korean lettering on it. And I I flipped out on the bus, Richard. Yeah, you did. I flipped out on the bus. And and later I, I had a moment to reflect and I said, Once we were Vikings, now we're merely pod people and I guess that's what we've become. There there really needs to be some protection for historic signage in this city. There there are ways of doing this.
2: It's called a historic cultural monument application.
0: Yeah, but I mean who thought to do this for the Royal Viking, this incredibly cheap, crummy hotel motel in in on the edge of Koreatown. Well,
2: obviously, preservationists don't have enough poor habits that happen to manifest themselves in the Westlake District. No one's no one's t- make, taking recreational drugs with prostitutes in in the Royal Viking, who is who writes HCMs. And I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> that's. Okay,
0: And yet at the same time, if someone had been in the Royal Viking, now the pod in and had looked out the window, you know, over the shoulder of this completely cracked out hooker and said, oh, my God, they're ruining that sign. And had gone out there, you know, in their undershorts and said, hey, man, I don't know what you're doing, but but can I call the Museum of Neon Art? I I think I have a phone. I didn't I didn't lose my phone yet. Let me call them. And and can you wait like 20 minutes and, and, you know, save the sign? Maybe the sign would have been saved. I think it's astonishing. The sign appears to have been gone for over a month. and Okay, the cat is completely flipping out. We have to stop putting him on Instagram. It's giving him a big head. Anyway, it's it's really sad. It's a beautiful, beautiful sign. And now if you go around the corner, the Figueroa side, uh, there there actually is still a hint of a Viking helmet at the top of the sign. These nincompoops obliterated the royal viking portion but they left the viking helmet so so it is the ghost viking of koreatown and 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 we raise raised a glass of tea to the ghost viking who we loved and obviously didn't love enough to write a landmarking monument for
2: can we have to move on our our good friend john bunton who is an accomplished journalist in the field of public policy has once again knocked it out of the park he's written a nice article for slate magazine and this article it's a Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Slate, the website. Great article about the myths of gentrification. I, I don't want to get too into this because it's, it's pretty in-depth and I need to keep moving, but... Good piece. Uh, not a lot of talk of downtown Los Angeles, mostly eastern seaboard cities, which is, of course, his emotional focus um, when he's not thinking about Los Angeles. But it's a, it's a great piece, and everyone everyone should check it out.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really obviously, as I think was the intention, annoying a lot of people who are dealing with hyper gentrification, especially on the East Coast, because even if what it's saying is true, you know that poor neighborhoods stay stay poor, and that all of the things that people say about gentrification is real. It's really limited to a very small number of communities on the coast. Um, you know, for the people who are dealing with losing all of their small businesses in their communities, it seems like gentrification to them, and they don't want to be told gentrification doesn't exist. There are some really bad things happening, whatever they actually are. We probably need some new terms to discuss them and to fight them.
2: Great. Okay. So, Kim, just a, a, a quick call-out. There was an article. There's we're, we're, a nice little article in the LA Times. It surrounds um, council district CD member Gil Cedillo. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to say it properly. Gil Cedillo represents council district number one. I, I knew he. I know he represents one. I was just trying to form a sentence that said council member for district one. And there we go. Gil Cedillo. Article is about what's the best way for grassroots activists to affect positive social change through changes in public policy.
0: Yeah, and the question is, um, you know, are you supposed to have a bunch of, Really cordial meetings with your councilman, or should you have a die-in in in front of their condo downtown when they say, when they're running for election, that they support a bike lane on Figueroa, and then when they're actually elected, they don't support the bike lane, even though they used your bike shop to have a bunch of press events while they were running. You can see why you would burn some bridges that way. So it's, it's a really interesting piece, because obviously most of the people who cordially go and sit at the table with their councilman are big-money developer types, and, and they're not really bike activists. And yet at the same time, apparently these die-ins have gotten some attention, and now some of the bike activists are supposedly speaking privately and cordially with the councilmen. So we'll see what happens. I think that, you know, there's definitely it, – it, it, is, it is hard to take on City Hall, literally, and um, – you know, it can be incredibly brutal, but it is sometimes the only way to get your voice heard, especially when your voice doesn't come with a big checkbook attached. So, you know, I like to see people in the community getting out and and doing performative public policy challenges. I, I think it's I think it's healthy and I think it's educational for the youth of today. And what do you think, Richard?
2: Okay, I think just. We'll give this a 30-second Richard's Guide to Affecting Positive Social Change Through Changes in Public Policy. So, one, renounce all the fruits of your efforts. Okay, just you wake up, fall out of bed, I'm doing this, and I divorce myself from any attachments of happiness or sadness surrounding the the results of my effort. I'm just simply engaging in this effort because it's the right thing to do. Secondly, don't call in the media or start or start using social media till till you it's it's, it's necessary. Um, really, goodwill um, quickly disappears with um, bad press and bad social media. And as um, few people have control over the media in general, and no one has control over social media. Uh, really, you, you you want goodwill, so so really really try and and maintain goodwill, and that that usually means trying to have civilized conversations where you're not going against what you said you were going to do at the meeting by, by tweeting about it.
0: And yet at the same time, I'm reminded that you know, we reached out to CD1 numerous times once we heard what was going on with the big section of the Zaha Madre under the development in Chinatown, and we just got completely stonewalled, and they destroyed this artifact. Right at, right. at which point, you know, we, we definitely began posting on social media what a terrible thing this was because we felt like the councilman didn't want to hear from us and, and this was the way to be heard.
2: Right. I think, Kim, what the scenarios I'm looking at are you, you, you have upcoming challenges and, and there's no crisis and you can have call meetings with deputies or other policymakers attached to bureaucracies within the city of Los Angeles. The Zaha Madre situation was just was already done. I mean, we weren't going to change anything when they announced what they were going to do, even though they hadn't done it. So we were just going to social media.
0: Well, no. I mean, you called them and you told them, hey, we know someone who's really, really good with old bricks. You should have them on site to help if you're actually going to move this. he wasn't there. And they broke the Zaha Madre.
2: So we're going to move on, Kim. So. Yeah, renounce all the fruits of your labors when engaging in affecting positive social change through changes in public policy. Uh, so Chris Nichols, um, let, let me get the article out here. Chris Nichols has written a nice little piece. Um, a list? Uh, he's come up with a list of, of 12 endangered spaces in Los Angeles County. Kim, I think this was very much uh, in in the same vein of thought of your 25 for 2014 two weeks ago. So let me just quickly go, go through these. I've included the link, uh, the Chase Bank on Sunset. These at are the, all in,
0: endangered. These
2: are all structures that are endangered. Uh, this is the Chase Bank, location of the former site of the Garden of Allah. It's now a bank. It's actually at high. the intersection of Los Angeles and West Hollywood, still in the footprint of Los Angeles. Warner Pacific Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, it's It's been closed for almost... Two years and, yeah, real problems. Uh, Arturo's in Harbor City. I'm not familiar with Arturo's, but uh, it's, it's an old scrubby. case study house. Uh, no,
0: it's a, it's a
2: restaurant. We're going to go. Oh, we've seen it. We pass, we've we been past Arturo's. It's a dining. Maybe that's our next, our next lunch in, in Wilmington. We'll be in Harbor City. No, oh,
0: it's closed. Oh, It's being marketed as a development Are They closed
2: state.
0: it. <laughs> Richard, stop it. You're just reading this for the first time. You looked at the pictures.
2: Yeah. Well, I know Rock Haven. <laughs> I know the teacup in Long Beach.
3: It, 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 I know it, it, Hollenbeck
2: Presbyterian Church it, in it Boyle Heights. It's it's Hollenbeck Pre the, What's happening at Hollenbeck Presbyterian Church is a real problem. Okay, okay. I know Parker Center. We've all written letters.
1: I'm you. Okay,
2: I'm glad. I dog and cat hospital West Hollywood, Melrose Triangle. I know that building. That's a big building. Women's Club of Hollywood on La Brea. Yeah. Okay. Fox. Is
0: that word Is that the
2: word I'm looking for? Yeah, internecine. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 Fo-
0: the women from that Hollywood Women's Club are not getting along in yeah. the building, and uh, its future are suffering because of that.
2: Right. Uh, Fox Theater in Inglewood, that's a great theater. Fifth Church of Christian Scientists in Hollywood, that's on Hollywood Boulevard, that's a great building. That's a great building. And last but not least, LACMA. William Pereira is on my mind. <laughs>
0: Chris Nichols is cheating with that LACMA picture. LACMA hasn't looked like that since, like, 1979. But, yeah, that's a really great idea. Why doesn't the new LACMA plan just uh, scrape away everything but the Pereira campus? That would be a great clean slate. I'm for that.
2: Okay, so that's Chris's list. It's very much in in the vein with, with your list from two weeks earlier, 25 for 2014. We'll list both of them. Very exciting. Okay, Kim, late breaking news out of the Southwest Museum for American Indian Heritage.
0: Yeah, and kind of exciting. I mean, Los Angeles has really failed the Southwest Museum. First Museum of the City of L.A., founded by Charles Fletcher Lummis, that great Arroyo citizen, our city librarian for a while, and uh, this fascinating Angelino all around the um Institution and its collection were passed into the hands of the, Aut- the new, at the time, Autry Museum uh, for Western Heritage. And unfortunately, the Autry just, although they have invested some money in um, stabilizing the building to a certain extent and in making sure that the really incredible collection of American Indian artifacts that were collected by Lummis and his associates is. Um, freeze-dried, and put in appropriate boxes. It's all been moved off-site, and the, and the space hasn't been open in years, and it's really a problem for Northeast L.A. because they've lost this incredible asset that they thought was going to be uh, improved when this partnership happened. So, you know, there's, there's a community group that's drawn up their own plan for what the, the Southwest Museum could be. They've tried to go to the city. They've tried to go to the Autry. No one's gotten anywhere. And now we have a white knight riding into town in the form of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And they made an announcement last week that they're here. And for the next 18 months, they're going to be bringing all of the interested parties to the table and talking about options. uh, Self-sustaining, fundraising, accessibility, usage options for the Southwest Museum. And that's, that's super exciting because you know it is definitely time for an outside entity to come get everyone talking and do some analyses that aren't based on just so much bad will and um failed opportunity that has happened in the past it's it's time for a fresh start and and i'm hopeful i'm and i'm really glad they've added it to a list of national treasures and there aren't a lot of structures on that list and i i really think this is a great start to uh, treating the Southwest Museum the way it ought to have been treated. And uh, hopefully a new century is on its way, and it's going to be a great century for Charles Victor Lummis' fantastic museum.
2: I can't help but think of Lummis' house.
0: Right. Also, you know, (laughs) there's so much wrong with Northeast LA. All this investment is coming in, all this hyper-gentrification, if you will, and the incredible cultural assets of the community are getting lost in that shuffle. You know, I don't expect real estate developers to come in and say, oh, I'm so excited to be, you know, building an apartment block in next to the gold line. I'm going to give a million dollars to Lumis House. That's just not going to happen. But there needs to be some focus on these cultural assets, and uh, Lumis House is kind of dangling out on a wire now because it's kind of, it's between stewards. The um, Historical Society is going to be leaving. The uh, Occidental College hopes to be coming in and we're really very, very hopeful, especially with all this new national focus on oh. Lummis and on the Highland Park neighborhood, that these structures are very close together and they basically are sisters in spirit, um, that things will get better. And and more clear for what's going to happen with Lummis House in the future.
2: Perfect. Okay, we'll keep everyone posted. Remember, the mind is universal. So, Kim, just in passing, I um, you, you uh, f- a DNA uh, did a nice little piece. DNA being design and architecture which is a uh, regular KCRW feature produced and hosted by Frances Anderton. Uh, they did a, she did a, a nice little photo. Well, can you just start quoting Tom Main from, from this piece she did and Ken Bernstein?
0: Well, sure. I mean, she did a piece about the demolition, the unexpected demolition of Ray Bradbury's home in Cheviot Hills by the architect Tom Main's representatives. Uh, Main and his wife bought it. They want to build a home there in the future, a few years down the line. And... So they knocked it down really quick, probably because of this new city ordinance that would have required, if they had waited, you know, two weeks, would have required notification to the neighborhood and someone could have written a landmark application or, or tried to buy the house out from under them because they didn't want them to knock the house down and have it be a vacant lot for three years. And, um, you know, Tom Maine basically told her that he's, uh, he lives in the moment and he doesn't really care about old houses. And, you know, it's fine. Other people do. And uh, what's interesting from the point of view of the Office of Historic Resources and Ken Bernstein is that somehow, and although this would have had no protective power, um, I should say that at the outset, but somehow when Survey LA was out uh, looking at Cheviot Hills and putting down a list of important architectural structures and cultural assets, the fact that Ray Bradbury had lived in this house for 50 years somehow was not mentioned by any of the community informants who survey LA met and because
2: they didn't meet with anyone, but the neighborhood council and they didn't actually do outreach because there's like two people on staff at the office of historic recourses that do this and they're understaffed and the office of the mayor needs to give them more money. And it's ridiculous that the HPOZ historic preservation overlay zone for Chevy Hills was rejected because there are too many bad houses. Okay. This is my neighborhood. Okay. It's ridiculous. Okay, it pisses me off Ooh. to hear that Chevy Hill's doesn't doesn't qualify to be an HPS-E. Whoever is in charge of this the neighborhood and the council member need to come back to the table and reapply. Okay? I dare you to drive down Motor Avenue and tell me this is not an architecturally intact integral neighborhood. I dare you to walk up the backside from the east out of from the west out of Castle Heights into Chevy Hills and tell me this is not an important architecturally intact neighborhood. Okay, and we're done with that. Okay, is all just is all ridiculous. And I know the people that live around there, and it is re- impossible to conceive of that there's going to be an empty abandoned lot at that intersection for the next four years.
0: Well, get get used to it. And and now that Tom Maine is responding to all this negative publicity, he suddenly has this proposal, which I'm sure he came up with. You know two days before he had to go on the air, oh, I'm going to build this wall. My house is just a garden. You're not going to see my house. My house is going to be invisible, but I'm going to build this wall, and I'm going to inscribe it with the names of, of Ray Bradbury's books. Are you freaking kidding? Okay, that's probably not possible with the zoning for that house, but really? Couldn't you have just bought a vacant lot somewhere or, like, a you know, an old Taco Bell?
2: Okay. So, okay, we're moving on, Kim. It's it's very It's very upsetting. So uh the the back to Downey we <laughs> Taco Bell. W- back to Downey. Uh there's a National Register house on Paramount. Paramount, at third. At third.
0: Across from Foxy's. Across
2: from the former Foxy's, the former Foxy's which is a beautiful mid century modern A-frame. A-frame Scandinavian restaurant now turned brew pub. Okay, so the Reeves Mansion is 18 80? 1885, 1886. It was built by Reeves who was a judge. There's a literally there is a milestone marker at the corner that shows it's um, 17 miles to downtown Los Angeles. Or
0: 12 or something. I think I
2: think it's 13. Yeah. I I, a photo of it. Somewhere. Yeah. But there's literally a mile marker there and and he of course is a judge of the superior county county judge and he would drive up to the to the courthouse, uh, however many times judges sit in chambers back in those days, probably three or four times a week during the season um, so uh, Kim and i you, you, you and I first came into consciousness around this house because it was the last time of the Swedish Vecco blog.
0: Right. Um, 1947, Elizabeth Short was murdered in January, Black Dahlia case, and there was another murder the following month that uh, some of the journalists thought might have been related because it was also um, a mutilation murder, a severing. And this involved... A linotype operator named Otto Parziegla who flipped out when his boss called him a dirty German while they were fighting over the condition of the linotype machine. And uh, he went into some sort of fugue state because he had been in a Nazi concentration camp and they had put him through...
2: Because because he was a
0: Pole. He was a Pole. He wasn't a German. And they, they put him through these mock executions and he used to just go dark and i guess in this particular case well this is what he said anyway i I choose to believe him because it's so insane he went dark and when he came to he had killed he had beaten his boss to death alfred hodge
2: so this has to do with the reeves mansion because
0: it's a wonderful story you're gonna stop me no okay so alfred hodge is dead he cuts him into pieces it's a big scandal um the dream killer he goes away for a long time has nothing to do with the Reeves Mansion, except that the Swedish Vekoblad, which was the Swedish newspaper...
2: After losing its publisher. Lost
0: its publisher, but, <laughs> but it was a popular paper, so some other Swede picked it up, and, and at the end of the day, it ended up publishing out of the Reeves Mansion. And I saw a photograph some blogger took back in the uh, two aughts, 2000 aughts, where they kind of peeped into the garage behind the house, where they have this tall water tower, it's magnificent, and there was a linotype machine... Uh, and a paper cutter back there. So um, and,
2: and the Swedish Vecco blog's last address, which is you can find on the Internet through a late white pages listing, is the address of the Reese Mansion.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't know if it's the same paper cutter, but you'd think you could probably clean something like that. It'd probably be a pretty good tool. You might not want to get rid of it when you're taking over you know, the assets of the Swedish Vecco blog. So that was kind of interesting. And um, we didn't tell that, though, to the people who were in. it. We, we did. We,
2: didn't we we did immediately. Oh,
0: okay. That's
2: why they let us in.
0: Oh yeah, they're true crime gates. Well, well, please go on, Richard.
2: Well, so you know, this like two thousand nine, we approach them and say, hey, you should let our bus tour visit at the end of our bus tour. Before we go over to harvey 's broiler because they hadn 't reopened yet, so we had a little so we, we, we needed we had some, we, we, we still had a little wiggle room
0: right, and this was our South Los Angeles um, california culture tour, not not a crime tour at all and um, Lauren Bowman, who was living there, was really nice and and was super interesting.
2: strangely nice.
0: Well, she was nice, and she was very interested in uh, true crime and had a lot of questions for us about the other work we do, and she invited us to come, and so we were able to, to visit and have a tour and go all through the house, 50 people, and she had some of the uh, contestants in the Miss Downey competition oh God, were there so wearing, wearing their sashes oh, because she used to have these so slumber great. parties upstairs. And listen, I have to, I have to say, I, I admire Lauren Bowman because, I mean, yes, she's serving federal time now, but when she came to Downey, she was using her own name, and she went to the church and she told the minister, you know, I had some problems in Texas. And she never pretended to be anyone other than who she was. And she started a real estate business. And she had this house, which she was paying an exorbitant amount of rent for. And she had a lot of public events there. And she was doing a lot of uh, charitable and religious things. And she, you know, she was also operating a, a pyramid scheme. And that's what she eventually, you know, went to prison for. But she did the same thing in Texas, and all you had to do was Google her name. And when they talked to the minister after she got caught for, you know, hustling people in the community, he's like, oh, well, everyone deserves a second chance. So she was gone. And we haven't been back to the house since because, you know, we don't have a relationship with the new people who came in. Same owners... Um, But different tenants, tenants, a gentleman named Ralph Verdugo from the community um, had been running a bar in downtown L.A., the L.A. Brewing Company, has a terrible reputation, they don't pay their employees, so I was a little concerned about it when he left the L.A. Brewing Company and, and moved into the Reeves Mansion and started redeveloping it as a steakhouse, and just in the last couple of weeks, it's broken that he is now at terrible odds with his landlords. He claims they haven't paid their mortgage in 60 months, and the and the property is heading into foreclosure. Uh, if that's the case, I don't know why they still had control of the property. Uh, they say he intentionally delayed the development of the steakhouse because he has a right of first, re- first refusal to purchase the property should they lose it. Everybody's screaming at each other. They're saying that... Um, the house has been gutted, and it's destroyed, and there's all this damage. I don't know. But it was not a steakhouse last time we saw it, and it was never intended to be a steakhouse. So.
2: Beautiful house. Beautiful woodwork. Ballroom on the fourth. Yeah, there was... Third floor. Third floor, yeah.
0: Yeah, the kids were using it as a music room. Very, very special property. And, you know, it's just been a nightmare because there have been zoning issues. It, It's a mansion. It's not Foxy's. No. And I don't know what's going to happen to it, and I don't know... Why a bank would let someone be in arrears five years?
2: And because the bank has 500 other properties in the same situation. There's just no consciousness of it.
0: Right, and what this comes down to at the end is, you know, National Register means nothing. It's it's just a feather in your cap. No one is going to come on the and knock on your door and say, "I'm here to check on your National Register property," and that is really a shame. It's a shame that something this precious. It really belongs to the community and has survived over a century in really good shape is now you know we'll
2: see it's what it is we'll see we'll see'll uh we'll we we'll, 're looking for some feedback from the downey Conservancy on this point um, okay, can we need to move into upcoming events uh sunday february twenty two the monthly lava Sunday salon is back. Dr. Paul Kudinaris is going to be talking about demonic cats, of yeah. which we have no small share of here in this house. Um, and I'm wondering if our friendly automata maker will come to that. I think there's a lot of overlap, and that might give him some ideas about his presentation.
0: I would like to see an automata of demonic cats.
2: Yeah. Yep. But I don't think
0: he's going to have that finished in two weeks. These things just take about seven years to conceive and, and construct.
2: Okay, so that, that's Sunday, February 22. RSVP, it's RSVP only, and they now start at 2, not noon. And it's at Library Bar. That's a new location. It's on the website. Okay. Um, our next forensic science seminar, we just we just got through our last one with Ed Nordskog. It was knocked it out of the park. Our next one is Hot Lad and Hot Leads Forensic Firearm and Gang Communication Analysis. Like that, is, that is a very long and wonderful alliterative title, and it is a roundabout way of saying Mike Kelly, who is a firearms inspector for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, will be taking us through the basics of ballistics. That was alliteration. And we'll also have uh, n- both, both these speakers are return speakers. We'll also have Nick Guskos. He's with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. He's going to be talking about um, investigating gang Homicides, specifically in uh, the sheriff's in in the correctional facilities run by the sheriff's department, uh, which is a, a specialized subset of homicide investigation and requires special tools and demeanors, techniques a lot a lot of experience under your belt and some cool thinking, and he's just the best. So we're we're super super excited about that, and I th- I think at this point we can yes. Go into the interview uh, introduction. So we're gonna we're gonna interview Donald first, so I'll introduce John first, John Christensen. John Christensen uh, amongst many other things. He is faculty at UCLA. He is a principal at Stamen Design and and is uh, heads up their their office in Los Angeles. Our last interview with him was about Stamen. This interview with him will be about Boom, a journal of California. He is editor, and he's gonna talk about <laughs> all, all the sort of all the ideas that 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 manifest as editorial policy for Boom, which is a lot of fun. He's a great guy. He's one of my favorite people, and uh, so well, that's good. Uh, our first interview is with Donald Donald Spivak. Donald Spivak is legend on this. I think only Brian Kaiser comes close to how many times we've we he's been interviewed he's been he's he's just well cuz he's so damn smart. Well he's, you
0: haven't hit the bottom of the well with him yet. No.
2: He's okay. So we're going to talk to Donald about Grand Avenue. This this interview was done the same morning as the interview we published with him a few months back about the pedestrian bridges. Uh, on the on the western side of Bunker Hill at around First and Figueroa, I'm this, afraid the
0: coral tree is doing even worse now, Richard. The coral yeah. tree is dead. At least Annapolis says it's a hazard, and someone needs to come and take it away.
2: Um, so this is a continuation of of the vision of Calvin Hamilton. So this interview about Bunker about Grand Avenue and Bunker Hill is is Calvin Hamilton's notions around rebuilding the core of downtown and separating pedestrian and vehicular traffic and as we go through life, Kim, I'm beginning to understand that William Pereira's office and his master plan work and Calvin Hamilton's master plan works are it's it's hard to tell where one stops and the other begins and and so I think we I think we, we owe a great deal to how downtown is now and how it is becoming. And when I say becoming, I mean the Grand Avenue plan, the county plan to, which is rebuilding Grand Avenue, the county plan to build a green path along Spring Street, from Union Station to the the core of the Civic Center. These are all ideas that Cabell Hamilton and William Pereira kind of put on the table and started implementing. Pereira in Irvine, Hamilton as. The principal city plan- the city planner for Los Angeles. And his so, so
0: basically all this cool futuristic stuff was supposed to happen in 1970 and yeah. now we're getting this kind of forty years 40 later masticated version thereof that everybody is really unhappy with because it's been so long coming?
2: I'm not gonna say masticated, but it's taken forty years. And um, I think it would have looked different had they implemented it twenty years ago. That said, we will leave it, we will, but we will leave that's all food for thought. And and Donald will take us by the hand and talk to us about the ideas behind Grand Avenue um, back in the late 60s when it was destroyed and rebuilt and and the path it's going on and the ideas behind that path, which are 40 years old. And so let's take it away with my interview with Donald. Donald. Donald, we're here. We're at, we're at Third and Grand. We're in front of the, the, the Wells Fargo Center. And I want you to introduce yourself, first of all, and then you're going to give us a history of this street as a result of the, uh, the redevelopment project in the early 60s. Okay.
4: Yes, uh, my name is Don Spivak. I'm formerly the Deputy Chief of Operations for the Los Angeles Community Redevelopment Agency. And um, we are standing on Grand Avenue, a little bit south of, of Third Street, Grand Avenue is the primary street on Bunker Hill. Uh, There are a number of streets that that border Bunker Hill or that are on the flats on on either side of Bunker Hill, Flower Street and Figueroa on the west side, Hill Street on the east side. But Grand Avenue is the primary street that runs north and south all the way through the length of Bunker Hill and then penetrates on the north up to Chinatown and on the south into the financial district of, of downtown. So it's the most continuous street in Bunker Hill. It was envisioned for many, many years as being kind of the Grand Boulevard of downtown Los Angeles. And so there was a lot of emphasis on urban design for Grand Avenue, including uh, making Grand Avenue into a two-level street, the idea being that the upper level would be for pedestrians and primarily uh, automobile drop-offs, and then uh, parking and truck access would be on the lower level. So Grand Avenue itself is actually a bridge that sits on top of a lower level street that many people don't even know exists. Uh, If you see the light wells that are in the center of the street uh, such as the one that's between 3rd and and 4th Street, um, they are to provide some light and to provide some air circulation from the truck level that's below. And as I say most of the parking access is is from below as well. So the concept was to separate pedestrian and uh, freight traffic on Bunker Hill by, by making it a two-level street. And, and
2: this has uh, echoes back to Calvin Hamilton and his, his interest in segregating different types of traffic.
4: Right. Cal Hamilton, who was the, um, the planning director for many, many years uh, in Los Angeles, that was one of his concepts was to separate pedestrian and vehicular traffic. And so on Grand Avenue, the idea was uh, that the upper level would be primarily pedestrians, although it is a major street but that all the truck traffic and people going to parking garages would be directed to the lower level. Uh, Grand Avenue did become the primary uh, location for most of the commercial office development that took place on on Bunker Hill. And Bunker Hill was conceptualized as being a major office destination for Los Angeles. In the 1950s uh, a lot of businesses were moving out of downtown Los Angeles because the buildings were obsolete. Um, They could have free parking in the the suburbs, and so the idea was to develop a high-density but well-parked new office complex on Bunker Hill to replace what had become a very derelict one-time residential neighborhood that, that really couldn't be rehabilitated. The condition of the buildings were beyond that. So it made sense to create a new downtown and to put it on Bunker Hill from the perspective of trying to retain businesses in downtown that were otherwise leaving the city of Los Angeles. And from that perspective, it was very successful. It got the major banks that were moving to the suburbs to stop doing that and to uh, move into new buildings on on Bunker Hill. Crocker Bank uh, was one of the first to build uh, a major office complex here. That's now the Wells Fargo Center. Security Pacific built one uh, a block off of Grand Avenue, which is now the headquarters for Bank of America. Subsequently, uh, a number of other banks and uh, real estate developers put together the California Plaza project, which um, does house many financial institutions. Uh, The last major office building to go up on Bunker Hill was one of the towers of California Plaza. There are still a couple of of parcels that are left for development uh, around First Street at Grand Avenue, and there is an approved plan. For a mixed-use development that would occupy the properties that are across Grand Avenue from the Walt Disney Concert Hall.
2: Right, right. Um, I'm just going to ask you this question. I I, I I didn't it didn't occur to me till we started talking. The parcel that the Broad Museum sits on.
4: Mm-hmm. Could you give us the name? Do you remember the name of that parcel? Is it L R? Is it? Is I think the, the the Broad Museum is on parcel L. Okay. Parcel. L, as I remember, was a, a parcel that the CRA
2: had offered in several instances. I remember back in the 70s, the CRA did a feasibility report on removing moving the, the central library, and they offered a lot, parcel L, as, as a replacement.
4: Uh, C.R.A. offered lots of parcels uh, <laughs> as a replacement for the, the library. The ultimate decision was to build a library next to the library, right. which ended up making the most sense, and, and that's what happened. Uh, but Parcel L was conceived of being, uh, after the library deal, uh, part of a very large complex of three residential towers that would be on Parcel L and Parcel M. Parcel M was split into two pieces. Right. Right. The first of those towers was built, the Grand uh, Promenade Apartments, 880, South, 880 West 1st Street. No, this is the one that's 251 South Grand oh, Avenue. okay. Right. Uh, and so that was the first of the three buildings. Uh, subsequently, the, the remaining two parcels on Grand Avenue and the parcels on the east side of Grand Avenue, which were parcels Q and W, were assembled and put into a major development um, proposal that related companies was the, the winning bidder on. Uh, That came through and got all of its approvals right about the time that the recession, uh, the most recent recession, was setting in. And so they've had a lot of difficulty moving that project forward. They're they're now repackaging it a little bit and going back to some of the original designs. But they did split off uh, two pieces. Uh, One became the uh, Broad Museum, and the second one became the uh, residential uh, project that uh, Architectonica designed immediately next to it that is filling in between the Grand Promenade and the Royal Museum and that's nearly finished now. So the uh, the west side of Grand Avenue is essentially complete all the way through Bunker Hill and the parcels on the east side um, running down the hill to Hill Street uh, are yet to be developed. The only remaining parcel after that that hasn't been developed is at the corner of 4th and Hill Streets, which was conceived as being a third office tower as part of the California Plaza Complex. Right. This is, this is where the goats are sometimes, Correct. because
2: it's a, a grassy knoll, just just to give people some orientation. Because right. e- even first. I was a bit lost when you started talking about Fourth and Hill for a right. second.
4: And a very steep one, which means the goats are a whole lot more uh, successful at trimming the, the brush on it than <laughs> almost anything else does. But uh, that was part of California Plaza. California Plaza was conceived of as being a very large mixed-use development was the largest single development proposal on Bunker Hill originally to have uh, three office buildings, three residential buildings, a hotel, and the Museum of Contemporary Art. Yes. Along with, uh, well, at that time, was to be the Boa Lewitsky Dance Studio. The dance studio was never built. That was to be uh, under the third tower. The two office towers were complete. Two of the three residential buildings um, were, were completed. Uh, the third became uh, part of the Colburn School, which yeah. is now a uh, music conservatory. It's located on the hill, uh, which uh, fulfills another element of Grand Avenue, which was to make it a, an important cultural hub for Los Angeles. That begins outside of Bunker Hill with the, uh, the Los Angeles Cathedral at Temple Street, the Music Center north of First Street, the Walt Disney Hall south of 1st Street, the Broad Museum, the Museum of Contemporary Art, and the library anchoring the south end at 5th and Grand. I, th- I, th- I
2: think you did it. Oh, you, you did it. Um, you, you gave us all the buildings. That was very good. You promised you'd just mention, since we ended on California Plaza, about Angel's
4: Flight. Okay. Angel's Flight, historically, was a funicular that connected. It uh, was one of several. connected the residential community at the top of bunker hill with downtown los angeles which was hill street broadway spring street roughly between uh, first and fourth Uh, the funicular was located at third and hill street and came up to uh, what is roughly now olive street yeah it was um dismantled in the 1960s to provide for the reconstruction of several buildings including angeles plaza the largest a senior housing complex uh, that is federally funded in the United States and was reassembled about twenty years later and it's gone through some problems operationally right now it's it's shut down and hopefully we'll be able to figure out a way to get it back in operation. but it was repositioned at the south end of Angeles Plaza to connect into the public open space of California Plaza, which um, the grade of which had to be adjusted so that it yeah. met yeah. the angle of um, of Angel's Flight. So the historic cars were totally restored. The um, right-of-way itself was was new, constructed. Uh, the electrical systems were all upgraded. The original headhouse was retained and rehabilitated, um, and the, the gate structure at both ends are original. Perfect. You did it. Donald, I want to thank you. This is a great walkthrough of Grand Avenue. Thank you. My pleasure. My name is Cece Perry. And I'm in Max Bloom's Café Noir, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine.
2: John, John, we're back. We're back in this great corner studio overlooking Abbott Kinney. I want you to properly introduce yourself and tell us
3: what it is we're going to talk about with you for a bit. Well, I'm John Christensen, and uh, I uh, teach at UCLA in the History Department and the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability, uh, in addition to being a partner at Stamen Design and the editor of Boom uh, Journal of California, which is a quarterly magazine published by UC Press. Okay, good. So that's and that's what I want to talk
2: to you about. Boom. So tell us, this is this is a great magazine. I'm, I love this. Tell us, we're looking. This is the the fall, twenty fourteen. Tell us about this this cover, and and the
3: students. Yeah. So this issue uh, is uh, about thinking with nature. So how do we think with nature? With things in nature, with plants and animals, uh, the you know the the, the climate, genes. Uh, art and ideas about nature, for understanding nature and our world, also understanding ourselves. And uh, as we were putting this issue together, um, I was up in San Francisco and and stumbled upon a small exhibition there in a little hole in the wall. It was like a pop-up exhibition. It was just happening one night. It had these three artists in it. And and, and I just thought, wow, uh, there's uh, um, this picture on the cover is by Noah Battle. He was a a senior um, in high school in San Francisco, and this was uh, part of a senior show uh, for him and two other students. And um, it shows, uh, this is a self-portrait, it shows Noah um, standing on a a, a small square of grass in the middle of a big uh, flat looks like parking lot of pavement with a power plant and kind of cranes and such of the port behind him. And so it just, it, it really, you know, for me, captured this essence of, of what we're th- getting at when we talk about thinking with nature today in California, which is very different from, um, I think, the, the the nature, the ideas of nature that John Muir uh, left us with uh, yes. when he died a hundred years ago, but which in some ways still conceptually really define California for us. Good. Um,
2: tell us. Um, wait, t- tell us. T- uh, DJ Waldie wrote a little article for you, not a little one. This is this isn't these. T- tell it. Tell us, just just so people look at this. I like I liked Don. He's a good guy. So tell yeah. us about this.
3: Yeah. Well, Don's. One of our most uh, amazing and remarkable and deep writers in California um, uh, now, and so it's such an honor to have um, this essay, uh, which is called "Nature's Haunted House," um, and it 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 um, has photographs by the other uh, uh, senior whose work I, you know, stumbled upon up in San Francisco. These these beautiful, evocative cutouts of the animal shapes that are cut out from leaves. And then are juxtaposed in settings you know around the city um, what 's wonderful about these two um, artists and, and the other their friend the other seniors that they 're all uh, freshmen at UCLA th- this year, so there 's a connection with Los Angeles as well and These photographs ac- accompany just this beautiful meditation by Don um, about seeing nature um, in and around uh, you know where he has spent his whole life uh, in lakewood and 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 long beach and 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 seeing nature in so many surprising ways in in you know what we think of as the natural environment but also what is really the built environment and the environment that we have made here and people and 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 it's in that way that i say you know um we still live in, the John, in John Muir's California. You know, I think conceptually he set up this California uh, where people live in the cities. There's the productive landscape of ranching and mining and farming uh, you know, around them. And then there are the wilderness cathedrals of nature that we go to to get away from that. And we still very much kind of live in that California still, but it's changing we're seeing nature all across that spectrum, not just in the wilderness, but you know, throughout the farms and ranches and the ways that we think about you know, the ecosystem services such as pollinators that make it possible for us to have the fruits and nuts that California you know, produces, but also nature, nature in the city. And the other way around, we're seeing culture and cultural ideas being so important Throughout that landscape and spectrum, too, from the city to the wilderness. And, and I think Don's uh, essay really beautifully gets to the heart of that.
2: Perfect. Give us, I, I think you've, you've given us a very good editorial direction on this theme, but what are just some other things? So, Boom has been published for a while. So, there's obviously a bit, of, bit, bit of. year? Yeah, so there, there's some editorial direction. So, other than that of nature, what, 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 do, you, what do you like? Where are you looking? To what, what 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 nooks and crannies
3: are you looking to shine light on into? So we, um, I tell all of our writers that our uh, what we want to do is uh, host one of the most interesting, lively dinner party conversations in California once a quarter, in the pages of the magazine. Uh, but also in uh, online, we publish uh, we publish everything online and give access to everything online during the run of the magazine each quarter. Uh, in other media, where we share uh, because we're interested in having as many readers as we can, you know, for this beautiful work, the writing and the photography and in social media, you you, um, you you want people to. In, embed their location in social media when they're reading this. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And share it with <laughs> us. Yeah. Um, share a picture of yourself reading Boom uh, in, 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 a, in a place. Um, you know, and so uh, we're, we, we organize. Uh, we often organize issues around themes. We've done one on uh, California and the world, and the world in California. On the future. Um, on uh, we did one uh, a year ago on the 100th anniversary of the Los Angeles Aqueduct, and you know we're making the kind of pivot from that history to thinking about the next century of water in Los Angeles. And so we find that's a way to really focus the conversation, to focus the. Mind- of our readers, to help uh, provoke, inspire, sustain, uh, you know, an interesting conversation. Sometimes it's not conversations that we've started, like the 100th anniversary of the Los Angeles Aqueduct. Oc- 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 but we can c- contribute something really substantive and beautiful, this evocative object of, you know, the print magazine itself um, uh, to, to that conversation. Uh, but but also all that we can do around it in other media and in events that we regularly hold. Um, so we're, we're looking at a lot of different you know, uh, you know, exciting possibilities of, of themes that we can address and you know, uh, collaborate with others. Uh, we don't do really anything alone. Uh, we like to work with other organizations and people to you know, have those conversations because we think it's really important that it – you know not just be in the magazine, but it'd also be you know uh out there in the world online and in social media, but also in real conversations uh, yeah excuse me, of tea I all
2: yeah. of a sudden was about to cough <clears throat> uh let's let's get let's get to the brass tax. This is a print magazine it's beautiful yeah I want you to tell people where they can get a copy of this, either over their transom through subscription or at a newsstand
3: well, so the best place. Uh, to get it is at uh boomcalifornia.com okay. and you can buy a a single copy there or subscribe very good and or come to one of our events well, so ha, ha, okay so and how do they how do
2: they find do they i guess
3: they just friend you on twitter they can do that or you know they can uh they can they can follow us on twitter at Boom California or we're on facebook uh, at Boom California. friend us there sign up for our mailing list at boomcalifornia.com and all of our events are all of our events are there and what we do uh you know what we usually do uh you know is that you know anybody who attends one of our events gets a free copy of the current issue perfect thank you so much thank you it's a real pleasure my name is badan roy i'm here at cal state la and you're listening to you can't
1: eat the sunshine
2: done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our latest podcast of You Can't Eat the Sunshine for the week of January 26th, 2015. Happy New Year, Kim. Our guests this week were Donald Spieback. He is former Deputy Chief of Operations and Policy for the Los Angeles Community Redevelopment Agency, and also John Christensen, amongst other things. He is editor of Boom, a journal of California. We want to hear from you. We really do. And so, Kim, tell us about the feedback loops.
0: We have them. They include such things as getting on our bus or coming to one of the lava events that Richard or I host. You can also send us an email at you can't eat the sunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.soturek.com. You can also um, – okay, we still don't have the iTunes feed fixed, Richard. I, I- – I know you're trying. You're doing what you can. What I've done in the meantime is I've put the podcast on some of the other podcast hosting sites. So you'll be finding if you if you listen through, oh, I don't know, Spreaker, you might find us there. So go go look for the podcast. You might find us on SoundCloud. The newest episodes will be there as oh, well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not ponying up for a, a paid account, so we'll just have you know like ten hours worth of stuff. But I'll just roll out the new ones, um, and eventually we will be back on iTunes if you're inclined to share the links or give us some reviews. We would be grateful for that.
2: Thank you, Kim. And, and again, just, I'm, I'm completely at the mercy of Apple. It's, I, I it, I'm completely at their mercy. I've, I've submitted my request two weeks ago and they said they were going to do it. And I'm just, I'm hoping that it, it gets fixed.
0: You want me to tweet at someone?
2: No, let's right. just, okay. All right. So Kim, you're going to bring us home. We are in the wrap up of our podcast. And this is when you tell us about Up coming bus tours I can do
0: that.
2: so take it away take us home
0: all right we're wrapping up the month of january with the birth of noir the james m kane tour of hollywood skid row and glendale and listen if you like film noir you don't need me to tell you you want to go to james m kane's los angeles and that's what we're gonna do in february we're doing the california culture tour series, of which we discussed a little bit uh, about South L.A. earlier. Uh, however, the South L.A. tour is not currently on the calendar because um, Irving Gill's Clark Estate, which is our longest stop on that tour, a really important house, suffered some rain damage. So They're going to
2: reopen.
0: Yes, they're going to reopen, and we're going to be back Long doing that in August. With, with, well, Richard, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just explaining. Yeah. Cal- so if people are like, oh, so California Culture Tour is coming up. I want to do that South L.A. tour. One, we no longer go to the Reeves Mansion. You know why. And we're not doing it in February. But what we are doing in February um, is three tours in this series. We're starting on February 7th with Boyle Heights in the San Gabriel Valley, the hidden histories of LA's melting pots, melting pot singular. And there's some truly beautiful Monterey Park locations and some fascinating lore about Jews and social justice and mollicons and fun, fun, fun in Boyle Heights. So, Interesting neighborhoods, a lot of synchronicities over a hundred years of history, and I like that tour a lot in uh... Oh, very interesting. On Valentine's Day, we are returning a tour, which has been on hiatus for quite a while, the Route 66 Road Trip, subtitled Roadside Architecture, Citrus Drive-Ins and Cemeteries. And that is a really lovely days out adventure, and you don't even have to go to Arizona to explore Route 66. We'll get you home in time for, well, an afternoon tipple. And we'll also go to E. Award, where you can buy lots of jams and jellies for your breakfast and brunch delights in the future. On the 21st of February, it's the Lowdown on Downtown. And if you like the Donald Spivak interview, you like that inside baseball about how downtown L.A. got so freaking messed up. Oh, please don't use that word. Do you hate the inside baseball thing? Yeah, I, I know. Do. I know. You just like you heard that term recently, and it, it really... Daniel Miller. Daniel Miller brought it up. It's honey. It's fine. I won't say that if you're interested in the inside secrets of the the lore and the development and the policy changes if I'm not going to say that of downtown Los Angeles the lowdown on downtown which is our tour which changes the most we give it twice a year it's always different Uh, we got some special surprises coming on this one too. You definitely want to get on that bus and off that bus because we do a lot of walking. We're wrapping up the month though with a true crime tour, Wild Wild West Side, on February 28th. It's um, basically a trip through my early childhood. So we're going to be in Venice and West LA, Santa Monica, where we're going to be talking about all my favorite things: cults, child abuse. Freaked out, acid killers. Oh, it's so much fun. And, you know, a beautiful cemetery visit, of course, too, which I like to do on my crime bus tours. March the 7th, it's Weird West Adams, a tour of a beautiful neighborhood, a bunch of neighborhoods dissected by the 10 Freeway and the incredible history of crime and, yes, social justice. That took place there. At the end of March, it is Pasadena Confidential with Crimebow the Clown, a tour about rocket science, black magic, and families run amok. And we'll take a nice little stroll out on Suicide Bridge in the company of Crimebow and talk about all the people who threw themselves off to their death. The end of March is a brand new tour, and it's mine. It's the other side of my childhood. Uh, It's called Hollywood with an exclamation point, and it (sighs) is. Bang in Tarabang, and it is a true crime tour with some fantastic architecture and offbeat local lore. If you've ever wondered what people like us think about as we travel through one of the central tourist locations of Los Angeles, you want to get on this bus. We'll show you some things you probably didn't know about and some things that will haunt your dreams and captivate you, too, because that's our job. And that brings us up to the end of March, and I will simply mention coming up in May is our once-a-year Tom Waits bus adventure, and I've been getting a lot of emails about that. Word is out. People are excited. David's May is coming back from San Francisco to take us through Tom Waits' Lost L.A.
2: Thank you, Kim. Thank you for bringing us home. I want to thank everyone at home for listening. I want to encourage you to continue to listen And I want to remind you,
0: you can't eat the sunshine.
1: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood. Called Hermina, between South Pass and Highland, Hart, Grand Central a so cold fire.